Financial investments are very important, but so are the investments of time, patience, and encouragement our young athletes receive from their coaches, teachers, and mentors. Edward Jones Financial Advisors Todd Nash in Coralville, Travis Whitmore in North Liberty, and Jeff Rudolph, Kelly Barta, Adela Hunter, and Scott McGill in Iowa City understand this. For all of your investment needs, visit edwardjones.com or call and stop by an office. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. This is Rob Howe, and I'm happy to be joined by one of our sponsors, and we, we appreciate his sponsorship. We have Mike Humple. Many, many of you will remember him from his playing days at Iowa in the NFL. And Mike, thanks for joining us today. I think it's important for people to understand what you do. Can you tell us kind of what chiro, you know, the chiropractic field entails the best you can in a short amount of time? Yeah, real quickly, Rob, you know, and happy to support uh, your prep sports and, and uh, your podcast. But on the basic principles, chiropractic, by definition, it comes from Greek terms, chiro meaning uh, hand, practic, from the word, Greek word practicos, which is practice. So it's a healthcare practice using your hands. So it's manual hands-on therapies and treatments. Most common treatment is the adjustment. Sometimes people reference it, oh, you get cracked or popped when you go to the chiropractor. Uh, that's, that's a manipulation where we're moving the bones in your spine, the joints around in your body to increase range of motion, decrease pain, um, and, and improve your overall function. So that, by definition, that's what chiropractic is. It's not just the adjustment, uh, but that's the main treatment. And there are also other therapies that w we can use as chiropractors to, um, you know, treat people's pain, neck pain, back pain, headaches, that type of thing. Awesome. If that sounds like something that uh, you would like to check out, check out Mike at Humple Chiro or humplechiropractic.com. The phone number there in North Liberty is 319-325-3558. And the address for Mike's business is 1295 Jordan Street, number 6B, North Liberty, Iowa, 52317. And this is the backer to cracker tip of the week. And we'll be back with these each week. Uh, and we hope you enjoy them. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. I am co-host Rob Howe. Happy to be joined, as always, by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. Uh, we made it to week two for Iowa football, which in, these, in this climate is, is a victory in and of itself, Scott. Yeah, it is. It's uh, one step higher than the two red neighbors, <laughs> one to the northeast and one to the west, who uh, won't be playing uh, at all and even Nebraska trying to schedule a play, uh, a game with Tennessee Chattanooga was shot down this morning by the Big Ten so uh, there's a lot a lot of love there for uh, the Big Ten and Huskerville. I wonder what the communication line is between Lincoln and suburban Chicago when they go ahead it seems like we've been through this down this road with them before, Scott. Why, why not call the Big Ten office and say, hey, can we play a non-conference game? Rather than let a newspaper, I think in Tennessee, put a story out. And it just makes it seem like there's more dysfunction after, you know, months of dysfunction. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think this is, 
you're seeing two powers, uh, you know, powerful wills at play here. I mean, Nebraska has kind of a mind of its own. It's got an independent streak, and that was proven in the old days of the Big 8 and Big 12 and uh, came to the Big 10. And, you know, the Big 10 had a great uh, leader in Jim Delaney all those years that would have kept everybody in line. But even more importantly, he kept people apprised of situations. The communication was, uh, you know, very strong at every silo, from the head coaches to the athletic directors to the presidents. He involved everybody in those decisions. And, and you know, what I think would have happened in August had Jim Delaney been the, the uh, commissioner was he would have noticed that there was no consensus among the presidents and there was clear defiance among the athletic directors and coaches. So we'd have said, look, we're going to push this back a few weeks um, and let things kind of see what, where things are at the end of August and try again from there. And then he could have worked on consensus building, which he always did and did a great job of. Instead, Kevin Warren didn't do any of it. Uh, he operated only with the presidents. He didn't talk to the ADs. He didn't talk to the football coaches. And then they were left hanging out. And everybody was kind of like, what, what's the deal? And, and then you have three schools, Iowa, Nebraska, and Ohio State, exploring options, even to play each other, in, you know, twice, home and home. I mean, that was under discussion at that point. And, and then, uh, you know, if, then Nebraska is threatening to leave or at least play on its own terms for a year. I mean, it's just, it's all screwed up. And I don't, I don't know if it's Bill Moose's fault in Nebraska by not calling Kevin Warren or if it's Kevin Warren's fault by saying, you know what, let's, let's talk to Bill Moose and, and see what's on his mind. Cause, but, but either way, the communication line is broken. And I don't know if they get this back under this commissioner. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see going forward. We're, we're recording this at around 10 a.m. Central Time on Thursday, October the 29th. And I thought, Scott, and I could be remiss because my I'm going in a bunch of different directions these days, but I thought I started to hear rumblings on Wednesday, October the 28th, that Nebraska was looking at a non-conference opponent. As soon as you see that or, or hear about that as a commissioner – or somebody in the office, don't you reach out to Nebraska and say, hey, no, this is – no, and not let it get to where it is now? Because now it's going to be the talk of today. It's going to be at least the talk of today, you know, around college football circles. Absolutely. And that's where it's just – you know, the discussion was, and they, they, can, they were apprised of it because I asked the question and did not receive a response. And that was <laughs> – uh, there was a lot of discussion that South Dakota State was going to play there. Because South Dakota State, I think, played one game already. But they had their fall game, you know, the equivalent of their spring game, scheduled right. for Saturday. So they'd already practiced. It was going to be a two-hour bus ride from Brookings or whatever to, to Lincoln. Uh, they were already on the original schedule for Nebraska. It was going to be simple. That was – I brought it to their attention, and they didn't reply. And then – so they were aware of this you don't let this get all the way into Thursday, you know, you dip it in the bud. And, and again, it's just, Kevin Warren has really been a, a terrible hire for this big 10. It just, there's no other way around it because the, the, the communication is, is broken. I mean, you know, when you saw what happened in that six weeks between yeah. canceling, postponing versus restarting, you don't let that stuff go. I mean, the day after they canceled the season on August 11th, he should have had a president like Morton Shapiro at Northwestern, 
you know, somebody who was connected with the uh, medical wing. He should have sat down with them, had a full news conference. Here's why we did this. And he never did. You know, it took him eight days to respond to Iowa's parental letters. And then he thought that was it. This will not be revisited. Well, it was revisited. And he looks weak. And, and now the communication that should have been improved isn't been improved. Nip it in the bud. Yeah, that's the Barney Fife reference. So old yep. people like us will get that. The younger listeners will not get that. But uh, yep. I encourage people to watch Andy Griffith. It's uh, good, wholesome American media. I watched it this morning. I watched the one with, <laughs> with uh, Gomer Pyle goes to the Marines and Andy Griffith standing outside the window trying to talk him out of uh, doing some crazy stuff, you know, taking that bucket off his head. <laughs> classic. That is classic. Um, so we're, that's where we're at now. We're going to have to see how this plays out uh, in the Big Ten West race where you have two teams that, you know, we go through this, Scott, and, and, and all of it's connected. The way it was handled at the front end is now impacting how things are being – how things are impacted now at the back end. The Big Ten has no – wiggle room here it's a cancellation it's not a postponement so now we're already we've already reached that point where it's going to be an unbalanced you know when we look at the standings at the end of the season there's going to be it's going to be unbalanced and and it'll be interesting to see how they figure it out yeah the worst part is let's I mean I think it's 50-50 whether Wisconsin plays next week against Purdue so then you've got two division games that would they would be out Right, and you could you have to play at least six right. to qualify for Indianapolis. Well, let's let's say that they win the rest of their games. They beat Michigan, they beat Iowa, they beat everybody else, and like produce six and one, seven and one, something like that. Right. And they didn't play. You know, I mean, that would be really unfair. You know, I don't think Nebraska will get there because Nebraska, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I think Purdue's more capable of going the distance than Nebraska is. Um, you know, especially with their schedule. Uh, it's just, I, uh, th- this is madness. This is why back on August 11th, they didn't give themselves any outs. If they would have even said, we're going to start at September 26th and, and have bye weeks. The way they did even really from the very beginning when they had 10 games mm-hmm. and they had, uh, you know, they called it Jenga 41 because you could slot every game into 41 different spots it's Jenga zero now. <laughs> they have no spots. So, and for a divisional game like this, you know, and albeit somewhat of a new trophy game, uh, it's a bad, bad look. I mean, the Big Ten's drawn negative attention on itself, and it's something that's self-inflicted once again. And for those that haven't been following the story, Wisconsin has COVID concerns, COVID issues, and will shut down for seven days starting yesterday, I believe, Scott, Wednesday. So they don't – so when do they pick it up again? Next Wednesday? Next Wednesday. So they would have, what, a couple days to prepare for Purdue? And so I got to think that game's in jeopardy as well. Yeah, and I think it just – you know, if they can keep the COVID levels down, they might be able to squeeze out of it because Tuesday's election day, and that's a no day for everybody. So everybody will be off. So, okay, they didn't get their Monday full padded practice in, but they'll, uh, everybody can connect through his Zoom. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like they can't discuss football, you know. So, they, I think they can if everything's okay on Wednesday. 
but still, this is just not a very good situation. And, and the fact that Wisconsin did it on its own, it didn't reach the thresholds, mm -hmm. that's going to create some friction, I think. That, that's probably created more friction from the Nebraska fan base than, than normal, and, and it probably would feel the same way here if that happened. And we saw that on a now-since-deleted tweet from the Nebraska official, I think it was the IMG Learfield account, for the University of Nebraska did a poll of when would Nebraska have played or pulled the plug had they been in the same situation as, as Wisconsin. And man, that was just not, that was not good either. It's just Nebraska is the, is, is that child in, in the preschool that you're like, oh, again, we got to yeah. put them in the corner again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Yeah. The Raiders of the, of the big 10. And, you know, I understand the discussion part of it fans, but right. you gotta be careful. I mean, you know, this is pretty tone deaf when you're dealing in a pandemic and these issues happen and, and they're, I, I would say that it's going to happen again. Yeah. <laughs> somebody's going to have to cancel a game again. Sure. I, I hope it's not a trophy game for Iowa, but it, you know, it might even happen to Iowa soon, but it's just guys, what are you doing? Just <laughs> zip it. You know, this is a crazy year. We know it. Don't, don't get riled up. And yet here they are. I mean, I could see them launching 10,000 balloons at like, you know, <laughs> on, on Saturday saying we would have scored a touchdown, you know? <laughs> yeah, so we need perspective and context here from Nebraska. Just we understand the disappointment, but just understand the circumstances. So, you know, I, I may get in trouble for this, but you remember as the movie as good as it gets in the '90s with Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a you know he was a writer, and a woman came up to him. How do I feel like you know women so well? You know, why is it that you write so well about women? And he goes. Well, I think of a man and I take away reasoning and accountability. And <laughs> that's, a, that's a great line. And, and so, I mean, you know, obviously I would never ever in a million years say that to a woman, but, you know, right now you might be thinking that towards Nebraska, you know? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so a um, little housekeeping here before we get on to, Going to get dive into our Iowa Hawkeye football talk, Scott. Before just before we started to record today, we we got an email uh, from Iowa football announcing uh, running back, second year running back Shadrick Bird, and set, second year um, linebacker Yahweh Judy have entered the transfer portal. Um, Bird played on special teams Saturday at Purdue. I, and we don't believe Judy made the trip. Uh, Bird uh, from Alabama, Judy from Florida. So guys that aren't in the region, not from the region. Um, I guess I was surprised at the timing here, Scott, not necessarily that they were transferring. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way where I just kind of wonder, why would you do it after the first game? Um, you know, this is a free year anyway. I mean, right. although unless they can figure out a way – Granted, if you transfer, this does count. So there is some truth to that. So maybe they could figure something out in a transfer. But, you know, I, I don't think there was a path to the field for either one of them. Mm -hmm. You know, you know short-term for sure and long-term maybe not as well. Uh, so it's understandable. It's just, yeah, the timing of it right after the first game. 
Um, one of them played, <laughs> yeah. you know, they, Kirk talked up Shad Bird like he was, yeah. you know, unless, unless Gavin Williams passed him up on the depth chart, I guess I just don't get the timing because we've seen that position annihilated before, you know, with injuries. And, right. and hopefully that doesn't happen this year. But he would have had an opportunity at some point, I would think. But, you know, here we are. And, and, and again, two African-American players from outside Iowa, it, it's not a good look, even if it's just for uh, playing purposes. Yeah, I, as soon as I tweeted it today, What's going on here, Rob? Is there more to this? I, I don't know. Um, I'll try to reach out like I'm sure other people will to these two guys and try to get the reasoning behind uh, the timing and, and the reason why they are leaving. Um, as you said, from, if you look at it just from a playing time perspective, Bird was behind the big three this season and Goodson, uh, Sargent, and Kelly Martin. Sergeant's done after this year. Kelly Martin, I believe, is a redshirt junior, but yeah. could come back next year. Hard to know what, where his mind is at and what he'll do. But like you said, we don't know. We've had such little uh, insight and, and, you know, availability into what's going on in each of the position groups. We don't know the two Williams that are, you know, true freshmen this year. We don't know what they've looked like. We really haven't had an idea of, you know, wh where Bird felt like he felt where you know where he stood in the pecking order yeah and that's true and now gavin williams did make the trip i didn't see Lashawn williams so you know if a gavin williams is four right and birds five and you kind of go okay i i'm not doing very well you know i can understand maybe you know if he if he feels like hey i just played in one game that maybe he can get an ncaa waiver and this not count as a full year for him that he can be a redshirt freshman next year. Okay, I guess there's some potential for that. And if Iowa doesn't stand in the way and it's kind of mutually beneficial, then I think that could probably work. But, but still, it, it, you know, why do it now? You know, I, I don't know. So yeah, to me, why not just – I mean, you're getting, you made the trip. You're, you're contributing on special teams. I think you had a tackle. Mm -hmm. He did. Yeah. So, I mean, why not just get that experience this year and then move on? Like you said, it's a free year. So we'll be interesting to see what he says uh, from Judy's standpoint. Uh, pretty crowded at linebacker right now. And also, as we've talked about in recent years with the cash position, less opportunity for linebackers. Uh, haven't heard a lot about him since he's been on campus in terms of, you know, how he's progressing. But again, you know, it kind of leaves us to speculate, Scott, that maybe he just didn't feel like he was in position to see the field for quite a while. Yeah, and that's the problem when you have people coming in from far away, you know, because if you're an Iowa kid who, or even an Illinois or right. Wisconsin kid, you come to Iowa and there's a different field than if you're from Florida where you're coming here for only for football. You know, the education's part of it, but it's only for football. And you look and you see, okay, Colbert's out uh, for this year at least. Um, you know, Dylan Doyle transfers. Jack Campbell's got mono. Seth Benson didn't play. And I still can't even make the trip. You know, and Justin Jacobs, who's in my class, is starting. Um, you know, 
Barrington Wade's ahead of me. And if he doesn't see that path to the playing field, and next year they've got, what, three linebackers, I think, in their recruiting class. Mm -hmm. So it's understandable again. And I, I don't have a problem with anybody looking at the depth chart and saying, I don't fit in here. And if I can't make the trip when we're down all these linebackers. And, and I think that the other one, uh, the, the one from, what, South Hamilton came in a few years ago. Um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. His name escapes me right now. Right. I can see his face, but yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I know that's terrible, but yeah, I don't, he wasn't there either, I don't think. So, you know, Higgins was Higgins, Higgins was there, though, right? Higgins he's a was true there. freshman. Right, and he played on special yeah. teams. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're already being passed up, it's you can see the writing on the wall, but to do it after the first week, you just don't know what's going to happen. And and for somebody like Judy, you know, special teams is – that's a linebacker's position, a backup linebacker's position. And so, if you know, if he could have gotten on kickoff team or something like that, you know, at least stuck it out. But right. I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like Jaden McDonald last year. Yeah, and he had like 13 tackles last week for Troy. So, right. that's the thing, Scott. I mean, this, this is just college football – 2020 with the transfer portal if you don't see a path to playing time within the first year or two mm -hmm. I mean this isn't an this, these aren't aberrations this is commonplace now guys are just let me go down a level or let me go to somewhere where they they need me more than they need me here um, and we're seeing that with you know it, it looks like I, I, I follow Nicole Auerbach on, on Twitter and she was tweeting yesterday about the, you know, the mulligan. You get one transfer where you don't have to sit out. I think it's a great rule. You just don't know. Because as much as you learn in recruiting, and especially this year with the dead period for recruiting, which is going to be even harder on these guys to get to know mm -hmm. each other from a coach's standpoint and a prospect player standpoint, you get someplace and you just realize, hey, this isn't, you know, I, I don't stack up. I don't fit here. I, I, I you know, I don't see a play, path to playing time. It's okay to go somewhere else and play. I, you know, you bring up Jaden McDonald's. I think that's a great example. He's playing at Troy now. My guess is he's probably pretty happy. Right. I mean, you know, that's a decent program that's produced NFL players. And right. If, uh, you know, at Iowa you have two spots and one of them's a senior, you're not going to get see much action this year. And, and so if you're not from here and you can't buy into the developmental part of it and you want to play right away, and, and if you're from Florida and it snows already in mid-October before the <laughs> season starts, and you're like, I'm just not happy. And, and, you know, I think one other layer to this is when you start looking at the pandemic and COVID and not the ability to socialize because – you know that you know what kind of school Iowa is on a Saturday night and right. uh, downtown. I mean, it is one of the party capitals in the country. And if you if you're stuck and you can't go out and you're not having fun and you're not happy, yes, it, by all means, nobody should begrudge you one iota for for leaving or anything. So, so I I think this is uh, this is probably a good move. But but you know, in this climate, you we always have to take that extra check and say okay, is this just football related or is there something else there? Yes, I think we're in agreement that the timing is a little strange and hopefully we get a little bit more information from those two guys on why they chose to do it now, but we wish them well. Uh, by all accounts, good guys, uh, guys that Iowa liked in the recruiting process, and I'm sure, and, and I sure hope they find a place that uh, they land that makes them happy and get a chance to, because ultimately these guys put in a lot of work 
to play, mm-hmm. you know, a short amount of time. It's just a short portion of their life. And uh, yeah. you just hope the best for everybody that they're able to enjoy that experience to, yeah. to, to the highest level they can. Right. College is the best time of your life in a lot of cases. And, yep. and if you're playing a sport, that's what you're there for, you know, to get a degree and have fun and be a part of a team. And if you don't feel part of it the way you want to, um, you know, it, it's just not what it was 30, 40 years ago where you just felt good to be a part of it. You know, you've got to, you've got to play. And I think that's the way to, to make it happen. Kind of segue into last week's game, Scott, with recruiting. You and I, uh, a few years ago, were down in Indianapolis. I believe it was before the Iowa-Indiana game on a Friday night at Rainy uh, Warren Central in Indianapolis watching a wide receiver by the name of David Bell who uh, had Iowa and Purdue in his final four. Ultimately, he decides to stay home and go to Purdue. And uh, he had a bit of an impact again. On Saturday's game. My Lord, what a fantastic player he is. Last year he was great, and this year he was probably even better because everybody knew, you know, I mean, everybody knew he was good last year, but he was a freshman and he came up big in a few situations and had a lot of catches. But this year, without Rondale Moore, you know, without their starting running back, uh, King Daru, he everybody knew what was coming and he still was able to to do what he did I mean and he showed a lot of fight there were times where he fought for the ball I think it was with Hankins it was kind of a 50-50 ball and he pulled it away he ran great routes you know he's 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 not real big I didn't think at least when we saw him but he's gotten stronger certainly and three touchdowns that last one had disastrous communication on the back end um you know what did you what did you see there? I'm sure you've watched that play a couple times. Is and I don't want to, you know, cast blame on anybody. But where did you see where the could you make out where the breakdown was? Yeah, it, it was. You had Matt Hankins. I be, I think it was Matt to the left. Uh, right. You know, the, the Iowa's left side, mm-hmm. and he was kind of locked up in zone. And then you had Barrington Wade kind of in the, the crossway kind of playing outside linebacker because they were worried about the run because they were right. getting gouged. And then you had, I, th- I think it was Dane Belton and Barrington Wade stayed in place. And whether that was his, what he was called to do or not, I don't know. And then it's probably something in the off season. If we get a chance to, I can ask Phil Parker, <laughs> but I'm sure there'll be more uh, games to ask about rather than this one, but he just kind of stayed in place Belton didn't get over, you know, so somebody was in the wrong spot. Somebody either, either Belton needed to get over or, or Wade needed to drop back, you know, because it was wide open and it was just, uh, you know, and you could see Hankins frustrated because he had a receiver in his area too. So it's not like he could over help or anything. And yeah, it was just, I mean, you know, and then you combine that with the fact that the, the pass rush was, uh, minimal, I thought, throughout most of the game, except for Davion Nixon. So that's that's that created a lot of problems. Yeah, I noticed that too. Hankins threw his arms up. I think Belton threw his arms up, and Wade just like Wade. Wade just had a look on his face, like, "Man, we screwed that up." And uh, but give Purdue credit, man. It's not. It wasn't an aberration that it was able to scheme its passing game to hurt Iowa. 
And, you know, it's, we've seen it now for several years since Jeff Brom has come in. Man, zone, whatever Iowa does, it seems like Purdue. And Milton Wright, you know, he had seven catches for 85. He was a four-star recruit. I mean, he's a, he was a good high school receiver who people have forgotten about because he's behind Rondell Moore and David Bell. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's a good player. Yeah, and this is this is an offense that makes you defend so much of the field. Right. And and I and I was as I was watching the game, I'm going, oh, they're lucky Rondale Moore isn't there. I mean, just because <laughs> they they just really look, I won't say lost, but they really struggled against the routes um, on the back seven. And I think you know you look at the linebackers, they struggled a lot there. You know, yes, Barrington Wade came up with some big plays. You know, the interception off a tip, mm-hmm. the sack on a blitz. And they, they made tackles, but they really looked uncertain in a lot of their situations. And then I thought, by and large, Belton played well. I thought Kerner played all right. And, and I think Hankins was pretty good. But, you know, they and, – and Moss wasn't bad. I think Brent struggled a lot. Mm-hmm. They, and he locked up with his old teammate, you know, David Bell, and uh, he lost. He lost badly. And uh, that was – that now we kind of understand why Riley Moss was ahead of him. I, I honestly think that. It's interesting, Scott, too, because I, I go back to the media day a few weeks ago when we had Phil Parker, and I think you asked him about Brent's, and he was talking about how Brent's was a little more fluid, mm-hmm. you know, a hip movement thing. I, I didn't see that on Saturday. He looked a little stiff. Again, David Bell is, you know, you're not going to see David Bell every week. You're hardly going to see a David Bell at all at this level, but he looked a little stiff to me at times. Yeah. They're only going to see one other receiver like him and that's Bateman from Minnesota. And he's going to be a handful too, but, but uh, you know, I, you, you, it makes you wonder by watching the way it all developed. Obviously they, they felt like they needed um, Hankins to cover the slot and they needed him at the cash and uh, you know, going forward, is that going to be the recipe or are they going to say, you know what, we want to have Belton at the slot or, you know, cash position and Merriweather at safety instead? Are they stronger there? I think we'll see some of that this week because Northwestern is, is good in that area. They don't have a receiver like Bell. Nobody really does. Only no. a few teams do. So maybe they decide, you know, hey, we're a little more fearful of their running attacks since they – hold up what 300 yards on Maryland that mm-hmm. maybe they want to hit or like Belton closer to the line of scrimmage and a, a truer safety in the back end. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, I think it's a work in progress with so little time during the off season to work through this. So that was the one, you know, in my mind was like, that's the puzzle in the secondary with that cash position because Belton is the closest thing they have to Imani Hooker. Yeah. But if you put him there, is Merriweather a capable, strong safety? That's, I think that's they, we may see them working through this for a couple of weeks to figure out what the best alignment is back there. Yeah, I mean, and he started last year the first game. He was the number one yeah. at the Kerner until he sprained his foot in, a, in that Friday practice before Rutgers, and then he was redshirted and stuff. And they like his athletic ability. Certainly we've seen it on the basketball floor. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he's, he's, sure. he's a really good athlete. He's got good size, and, and it's probably time to, to at least 
give this a look. And, and this, this is what all happens with a team like Iowa that doesn't roll out. You know, Kirk has brought this up a couple of times and he's absolutely right. You know, for teams in this type of environment, you either got to roll out, you know, elite talent or have a veteran quarterback, and we have neither. And he's like, and we're probably 0 for 3 because uh, on coaching, but you know, this, <laughs> that's kind of funny. But not having spring, you know, yeah. really kind of hurt him. And it hurt him from the cohesion in the back end on defense and uh, really getting a feel up front as well. Uh, and, and then I think not having, you know, summer hitting, it, it did kind of make bring some questions as to who's that fifth, sixth, seventh guy in the back end as well. More concerning from Saturday for you, Scott, the rush defense or the pass rush for Iowa? Pass rush, for sure. You know, they got worn down, you know, and there was – to me, I think there were some run-fit questions, mm-hmm. and I think they're able to solve those in the future, although Northwestern might be a little bit better run team. Obviously, yeah. I think they are. But, but, but the pass rush is something where it's, it's man versus man, and you've got to get there, and it wasn't there. I mean, Golston got held a few times, and it wasn't called. And I know that that was a frustrating part, but that happens. You know, you got to get through it. Um, the only way they were getting there, other than Nixman, who I thought was tremendous, was was through the blitz. Well, you do that, you leave your guys on an island, and then David Bell ends up free. You know, <laughs> so so it's you you get what you pay. I I'm wondering if. You know, and I'm just, I mean, I'm checking under all the rocks here, you know, because, sure. and, and maybe it's a situation where they need to have a stand-up rush guy, kind of like they did last year with Joe Evans, opposite AJ Epineza. Maybe it's Wade. Maybe that's Wade's best spot is yeah. stand-up pass rusher, because he is, you know, physically, he fits the part. And if, if maybe that's his third down role, if you get Benson in or, you know, Campbell comes back in a couple of weeks and, you know, you can kind of do that because, uh, you know, one the player that you know, that didn't play that kind of surprised me was Logan Lee. I knew, I knew you were going there. It yeah. surprised me too. And they talked him up like he was a, he was a guy. He was part mm-hmm. of it. And then Kirk's like, well, yeah, but he's been hurt a lot and he's had this and this. He made the trip, you know, and he didn't play. And I'm like, well, why would you do that? Right. <laughs> you know, if you want to get more guys in there and, and some of them weren't very effective, I thought that that was a – you know, I, I think we did see, though, that I think Iowa has three quality defensive linemen, and they've got some guys that need to t- step their game up. Yeah, and they, you know, we've seen them go to the rotation more. I wonder if that rotation tightens up. If and then, but then you're then you're wearing guys down if you play them too much. So yeah, they're going to have to figure that out without a question. So a um, couple more items from the Purdue game, Scott, and we'll move on to Northwestern. Um, a lot of talk after the game about uh, the lack of productivity, I guess you would say, for Amir Smith-Marset in the passing game. He targeted, what, three times, five times? Five, five times, okay. No catches in the game. Uh, I think if you would have went into the game and said, hey, he's not going to have any catches in this game, how's Iowa going to do? But they put up 460 yards, so I can kind of see both. My guess is Purdue did things to take him away, but I could sense the frustration on his face. Yeah, and uh, this was I, – I think it was on him. Uh, the more I, w- I rewatched the game, mm-hmm. going through it during the game, I kind of saw it you know, go through, and I'm like, 
he's not running good routes, you know, and I don't know if he got hit hard and his leg wasn't quite, you know, one of his hips seemed to like get drilled on a kickoff and it didn't work very well. So you wonder, okay, is it just, he's not running great routes. Uh, he alligator armed one, he dropped one, um, you know, Sam Laporta was great. So, I mean, you, you target a guy five times, he doesn't get any, you know, I think some of it was on Petrus, but a lot of it was on, uh, um, you know, was on Amir. And, and he needs to come back and bounce back. He's too good of a player not to. I thought – I didn't think Brandon Smith played all that well either. Um, and uh, I talked to Marvin McNutt Monday night on, our, on Iowa Live, and he was, you know, way more on the, the side of these guys blew it. They, they had a really bad game and calling them out. And – you got to be there for your quarterback. You got to make these plays. You got to make run these better routes, and and maybe it's uh, this is a wake up call. You know the 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 old come to Jesus moment for mm-hmm. Kelton Copeland to say, okay, you guys heard all this hype in the off season. Go out and do something now because I I don't think I think they underperformed more than Spencer Petras did. Yeah, they're the seniors. They're the experienced guys. They have to be. You know. Kirk Ferentz talks about it all the time. He needs his seniors to be the leaders, you know, on and off the field. And, yeah, they, I think they came up short on Saturday. It's one game. We'll see what happens. I did, from an injury perspective, I did see Amir kind of playing with his right hamstring after that kickoff where his leg got compromised a little bit. But he still played. He was good mm-hmm. enough to play. The trainers thought he could play. I don't think you make an excuse there for him. Um, couple more things here quick. Spencer Petrus, Scott, what, uh, I guess, what did you think overall of the performance? I, I thought, from my perspective, not great. I thought he was a little bit wound a little tight early in the game. Uh, and then at the end of the game, I thought he kind of went back to that where he, he needed to settle down. But not unexpected in the first start. Yeah, I mean, I would give him probably like a B minus. I mean, he didn't make any gigantic mistakes. He was wound up. He overthrew receivers, which happens. You got guys with big arms; they love to use them. And mm-hmm. and some and he was going down the field. And and uh, there were times when I'd see a, a shallow cross from like Tyrone Tracy, and I'm like, there he is. You know, he, I could yeah. see it develop, and he just he just he threw down the field instead. I think his saving grace was Sam Laporta. He had a good relationship with him. Got a lot of really good mid-level routes. Um, I liked a lot of what I saw. I thought he was way better than, say, like what Stanley was in his first game. Certainly, Bethard's first start at Purdue was, you know, he had a pick six. He was terrible. Uh, you know, so by and large, I thought, okay, you know, he didn't, he didn't look too bad. And it was just, you know, there were a couple of, you know, situations that really kept him. One was um, – the screen pass to, to Tyler Goodson late in the game on the final drive. And this is where a great player made a, uh, an impact play indirectly. And that was George Karloftis. They lined him up over, uh, over Kyler's shot. And, he, and it, was, it was a screen. He needed to get out of there. Shot needed to get out of there. But he had such great push and explosion off the snap, which is what he'll do when he gets paid for it in a few years. And uh, shot got way too deep. And then still tried to get out, and he ended up getting in the way of, of Tyler Goodson trying to make that catch. And Goodson kind of short armed it, and it, and it fell incomplete. Um, I don't know if that would have been a touchdown or not, but it certainly would have been a first down, and it would have been probably a 15 to 20 yard gain. So 
again, that's something you can work on in the off season and drill in, the, in April and August. And then by October, you're pretty good at it. And they weren't, I've always been surprised why I was not a better screen team. I mean, it just makes sense, but you know, that it, it, the penalties were, were a disaster. I don't know what you saw on TV, but it was just like, what, what are you guys doing? Four false starts. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. And then, and of course the fumbles, um, one was, uh, you know, too much, too much cold bandwork deciding to crush his own running back, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, and then the other two. Karloftis is a beast. First of all, I'll comment mm -hmm. on that. And yeah, I said this on, on our eye on the Hawks, uh, with a TV show that I do with Grant Becker. Um, I'm, I was encouraged coming out of this game, Scott, because the 460 yards of offense, I thought defensively there were item, you know, areas that can be cleaned up. Dave, you're not going to see David Bell every week. Um, it was the mistakes. It was the 10 penalties, as you mentioned, the careless false starts, uh, the two turnovers. Those are things that are uncharacteristic of Iowa that haven't – they've not become a trend during a season with this program. So that gives me optimism that they will clean those things up. Perfect football? Nah, that's going to be hard to find this year with the circumstances of the offseason. And I, and I would say that probably the false starts – you got Coy Cronk, a guy that's just getting used to, to this offense and his mm -hmm. teammates. I think they clean that stuff up. So until I see this becoming a pattern or a trend, I feel encouraged coming out of that Purdue game. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it's, you know, when they ran for 195 yards, I mean, they're 45 and five since 2015 when they hit the 100 yard mark. That's a win. And to run for 195 at 5.4 yards per carry, mm -hmm. that, those are winning numbers. Those are dominant numbers. And did not have a turnover in the passing game with a brand new quarterback and to, to make some good plays, what, 265 yards? That's a good number too. But it, it was just, yeah, the uncharacteristic mistakes. I mean, this team was third in the country last year in penalty yards. And you know, they averaged like 32 a game, and they had 100 the other day. That's just crazy, you know. And then the turnovers, the fumbles, those don't – those rarely happen for Iowa, and especially the way they did. And, and, uh, and so I expect that to be much improved, ball security, um, tightening on the details. Now, I think their opponent is better this week um, that they're facing than, than Purdue, but I don't think they have the explosive players that Purdue has. I mean, Purdue has players who can beat you. I don't know whether, you know, their team is that good. Um, <laughs> Northwestern has a team that can beat you, but their players aren't, uh, you know, the, you know, they don't have anybody that you go, Hey man, he's a first team. Uh, <laughs> he's a first team all American kind of first rounder. Let's segue into the Northwestern game, Scott, and I think we can kind of build off of what you were talking about in terms of Iowa being a team that doesn't hurt itself a lot. That can be said about Northwestern, usually one of the least penalized teams in the country. Uh, they were a disaster on offense last year, but we saw in week one against a miserable Maryland team. I don't know how – I mean, we could come up with a bunch of adjectives for <laughs> Terrapins. That yeah, not right. I watched that game as much as I could, and I was like, man, this is, this is tough to watch. Um, and Maryland's got talent. I mean, they've, they've got players. But that's another story for another day. Um, 
This Northwestern team, which had a good defense last year and a pathetic offense, looks like it's back to what it was, at least in terms of competitive standpoint, respectability, as it was in 2018 when it won the West. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they had no quarterback last year, which is really crazy because when Hunter Johnson got there, a five-star, I mean, everybody praised that as, all right, you know, Northwestern's finally got a guy. Well, um, you know, he's, what, third or fourth on the depth chart now. He's mm-hmm. just not, you know, TJ Green, a walk-on, Trent Green's kid is is ahead of him. And, and of course, Peyton Ramsey did a really nice job. And, you know, Ferentz kind of compared him a little bit to Trace McSorley. I, I think he's maybe a little bit better passer than McSorley, but, you know, McSorley was, you know, a really incredible runner. But, you know, now they've got guys. They, you know, they look the part. They, you know, I thought without Rashawn Slater, they'd be affected there at left tackle. They looked good there, too. Um, their defense was always going to be good. That's just the hallmark of Northwestern. Uh, but they played the worst team in the league by far. Yeah, and I agree. Last- I, Maryland, I don't – especially after we saw Rutgers, I think Maryland is – far and away as good as Ohio State is at the top end Maryland is as bad at the back end of the Big Ten God they were bad I mean you know to allow what 537 yards I think it was you know Northwestern averaged 270 in Big Ten play last year so they doubled you know more you know doubled up what they had last year in one game I mean you know that was the first 40 point Big Ten victory for them since 1970 you know so there's just you know, incredible numbers out of this and uh you know but I think you know what you do look at and what you have to look at and even beyond the the pathetic images we saw from the Maryland Terrapins is that Northwestern you know what you're going to get kind of like with Iowa you know Pitt Fitzgerald's mm-hmm. been there forever you know you're going to get a, a well-coached disciplined tough hard-nosed football team they're going to fight you they're going to play you they're going to play hard they're going to play inspired smart you know which is what they should be if they're getting that kind of education (laughs) (laughs) that's smarter than us yeah exactly uh you know just because i went to college in the same state as northwestern (laughs) doesn't mean i'm northwestern educated but uh but i do think that they're beatable i i do i mean you know you know i i think as you mentioned i think iowa played a pretty good game against purdue just made some dumb mistakes and had you know, really it all boils down to if Makai Sargent does a fumble that they score a touchdown and they probably win that game, you know, but yeah, you know, that didn't happen, but it, it just means that you could have looked at it and said, okay, Iowa won 20, you know, 28 to 31 to, to 24, something like that, whatever the score would have been, um, 27, 24, you, you kind of got out of there with a win, but I, I don't know. I think now they're, uh, you know, Northwestern is, it's a dangerous team. It's a team you can't take lightly, unlike some fans our age. And uh, it's, it's also – but I don't think Iowa or Ferentz ever does. No, and this, like we saw last week, where the mistakes really crippled Iowa, mistakes this week against Northwestern are probably going to be magnified because of Northwestern's ability to play clean football. Um, so that's really where, you know, that, where this comes down to. Quarterback plays always big. I was really impressed with Ramsey. Uh, and, again, you, in the context of playing against a pitiful team, he's still, you know, I, I, I think I saw this stat in the Northwestern notes. He completed 23 passes to seven different receivers 
who each had multiple catches. So that's really spreading the ball around. And you combine that with a really deep stable of running backs, similar to what Iowa has in Bowser, Anderson, and Hall. Just, I mean, night and day between, from the offense that Northwestern had last year. Yeah, and then they, act, you know, they have a new coordinator, and it was needed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mike Bajakian is, is pretty good. He's, he's got a good handle on that offense. They got a new tight end, you know, who came from Florida Atlantic, uh, mm-hmm. wearing number zero. So I don't know if they call him the super back like they always did all those years, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, he was, he was super the other day. So, no, I, I do think this is, a, this is a formidable opponent. And I don't like to get hyperbolic, but I think this is the most important game of the season by far for Iowa because I, I think that especially if they lose – then, then what? You know, after all the emotion of the off season, the turmoil, the fans are going to get really edgy. Uh, I think it could be, you know, you could really spill and have a, a really bad year. I agree, Scott. And I think we talked about this last week. In, and again, it's a context of playing a season during the pandemic. So you have to have some perspective there. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to play a season, the bar is winning the Big Ten West. And if you come out of the gate losing two division games in the first two weeks, that is a gut punch. That's like how do, you know, then you start thinking to yourself, what is the path to winning this division? Can it be done after only two weeks? And that's really a downer when, when you because that I mean last year, what it was, they went to Wisconsin with an opportunity to win the West still. You know, towards the end of the season, if you're looking at that at two weeks in, that that's a tough picture to to wrap your mind around. Yeah, and 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 frankly, there's not a team on Iowa's schedule it can't beat. Nope. But they can also lose to several of them. I, I would say Michigan State looks winnable even on a mediocre day, but. But uh, Minnesota, you going on the road up there? The, they hate you. They say it all the time. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, playing at Penn State, that's winnable, but it's also very losable. Nebraska at home, I mean, they've come down to the last play of the game the last couple of years. Uh, Illinois on the road, I would think that Iowa could play modestly. But if you, you know, if a team's not energized and it's cold, right. then, then you can fall apart there. And then Wisconsin at the end. So I think if Iowa – can pull out a one-point win, any kind of win this week. You take it happily. No style points don't matter. And then just hope that it builds some sort of momentum going forward. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, Scott. And I, I said this, I, I think I tweeted this on Saturday at, at Purdue. It's no style points, like you said. This, it doesn't matter how you do it this season. It's just do it. And mm-hmm. – Whatever it takes to win the game. It wasn't going to be pretty at Purdue. It's the first game you've played since December. Uh, there were going to be hiccups. Just get, the, get out of there with a win. It didn't happen. They made too many mistakes, and it cost them. Whatever it takes against Northwestern to get that victory and get to one-and-one and, one and get back up on your feet with a very winnable Michigan State coming in the next week, that's what – you know, I guess it's – it's natural for fans to say, well, this sucks and that sucks, even in a win. But I don't think this season – I think you suppress that even more this season. A win in, uh, under these conditions is really an accomplishment. 
It sure is. Yeah. The one thing you just, you don't want to get rid of your hope already. Right. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to go zero and two in your division and knowing that, you know, Wisconsin still lies ahead and you still got Penn state. You, you want to put yourself in a position where you at least get two thirds through the season before you, you know, everything's gone. And let, that's why you play non-conference games. And right. I wrote a little bit about this today, just that when you have the, you know, Iowa always plays a Mac team or whatever, or a group of five or Sun Belt. FCS. Yeah, just because they're going to make stupid mistakes like they did the other day. But then they work through them, and then by game two when they're playing Iowa State or somebody, they yeah. look like a vastly improved team. I'll say this. Um, I thought the running game was as good as I've seen in a long time against a decent team. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Tristan Wirfs is otherworldly. They're never going to replace him athletically nobody will ever touch him and they haven't had anybody that good but when you look at Koi Kronk I thought he played really well I thought he did a nice job he gave up one sack to in my opinion a first round draft pick in the future in George Karloftis Um, other than that their run blocking was good Albert Jackson looks much thinner which we all knew but you know really more fluid Um, it's it's but the questions are you know a lot of people talked about how Tyler Goodson didn't get a carry, uh, didn't get a touch in the fourth quarter. You know, they still ran the ball really well in the fourth quarter. Uh, but when you fumble <laughs> and your best player doesn't have the ball, it's kind of like with the uh, USC game against Texas 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter that uh, you threw that big guy in there, um, you know, to, and he got stopped short, but it wasn't Reggie Bush. Right. So that that's what people look at. So – I don't know. What did you think of the way Brian called the game? Good for the most part. Um, I thought he went – we talked about how well the running game was going. You know, I, I think, as you said, I think that fumble early by um, Goodson kind of spooked them a little bit. But I would have stayed maybe more – especially when, when Spencer Peach – they were throw, they threw a lot early, which surprised me. I thought they would run more – to kind of get let him get settled in. But Brian, I think, is a good play caller. Sometimes he gets too much in his head and tries to be a little bit too uh, – tries to get a little bit too uh, tricky and outthinks himself sometimes. But for the most part, I, I didn't think it was a play calling issue. I thought it was an execution issue uh, on Saturday. And, you know, you talk about Goodson, Scott. If that screen pass works, if, if Karloftis doesn't blow that up, maybe if, you know, Iowa's a little bit more – poised in that situation we're not talking about Goodson not getting the ball because that that play goes for quite a few yards in my opinion if not to the end zone yeah it could have very well been and like Akron Wadley play at Iowa State three right. years ago um, I, I agree with you about Brian because uh, I know some people took exception to that because if they lose and they only score 20 points and yeah. automatically it's an offensive coordinator problem right. it's not his fault they fumbled the football it's not his fault that they had 10 penalties and seven on offense uh, that's not Brian Ferentz. He's not the one jumping off sides. And I guarantee he's the one F-bomb in the world when it happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I will, I will say that if there was one play and they knew it after the game and they really need to lock in on this, and that is whenever they hit a big play and they want to go hurry up, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times at the end of the half, they immediately run the football and it never, ever, ever works. It, it, last year, Penn State. Amir hit like a 40-yarder, 
They got it down to the four yard line. They get in a hurry up situation. They get scrambled. They get run up, try to do tempo and run the football and get stopped for one, you know, minus one. Yeah. And the other day, you know, two big passes down the field, you know, Regani and Laporta, they're down to the 10, 10 seconds left. You have a timeout. It's first and goal. Spike the blank and ball. Yep. Throw and and then here's where Iowa's always had a problem with Ference. And I and I will they don't sometimes let their best players make plays on the ball. With Noah Fant, hey, the guy's got a 42-inch vertical. Throw it up to him. Brandon Smith, you're at the 10-yard line, nine seconds left in the half. Let him go get the ball. Throw it up once. Don't yep. hand the ball off, and then you have to call a timeout, and then you kick a field goal, and you feel like, yeah, I know you stole a little bit of points, but, man, they had an opportunity there. And, and when you lose by four and you kick a field goal in that situation, you know, there, there's your difference. So I, I think sometimes they just need to trust their players to make plays. Um, basketball coaches do it so much better than football coaches. Mm -hmm. Yep, that came back to bite them in the arse, uh, the clock management issues, and just, just, you know, strategically being able to be better in those scramble situations, I think. is. Uh, and this week, I mean, as, as good as Iowa looked on offense this past week, I don't I – don't, anticipate that type of production against Northwestern's defense. Fisher and Gallagher are just tremendous linebackers. They've got guys, and as Ojemudia used to say, dudes up front. Uh, they got good players in the back end. This is a good defense that Iowa's going to go against this week. Yeah, it is. And, you know, you cut down that running number. If you can run for 195 on Northwestern, you better win the game. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you better win. But – you know, I mean, they're not as depleted, certainly, as what they were five years ago when they won 40 to 10. And, you know, both teams were ranked game. But, right. you know, this is going to be a challenge. And I think Iowa's it, – it's, it, it's a tough game to predict. And, I mean, the, the point spread reflects it. I think it's Iowa by two and a half. And it's just – it's going to come down to those tweener plays. It's third and ten. Who gets called for holding, the offensive tackle or the cornerback? Yeah. Who extends the drive? Who defeats the, the completed pass? Who, you know, how, do, how far does the kick go? I mean, Torrey Taylor was great the other day, but can he do it again? Can he do it consistently? If there's a big, crazy wind, will he be – and it should be coming from the south on Saturday. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, does he, you know, kick the ball 25 yards or, or you know, 50? You know, that's, that's going to make a big difference in this game. Yes, yeah, special teams – you know, we always talk about those having uh, an impact on games when they're, they look kind of even on paper. And I think the hardest thing with this game, Scott, is trying to measure what Northwestern did against a just awful Maryland team and then trying to figure out, you know, how much cleaner football Iowa can play this week. But like you said, there's, there aren't any non-conference games to get you know, not only for, you know, the players and the coaches, but for us in the media and fan base, we're, we're putting this together. We're putting the, you know, painting the picture as well. And it's only week two. I, I mean, we'll learn a lot more this Saturday about both of these teams. And obviously the one that we focus on is Iowa. Yeah, because usually we have a good month to, you know, see three games at least mm -hmm. and probably a buy in there where, you know, plus we have a kid's day practice. Right. and. And you have kind of those ideas. You can kind of rewatch some video. All right, there's some growth there. There's a, there's a problem there. Now we're just, you know, you're 
you're in the race already and it's it's hard and and I, I'm still very skeptical about the pass rush. I think that has to improve because if it doesn't, then they're going to be a four and four team this year. If you know, they're just not. Mm-hmm. You know, they got to they got to disrupt the passing game, and they didn't do that very well last week. You know, they got a couple interceptions and they got a couple sacks. But I'll say this: Davion Nixon is a freaking handful. He's he a is a monster. Yes. Oh, <laughs> would call him a dude. He is. Yes. He will hear his name before the Saturday next year, next April's draft. Yes. It'll be, a, it'll be Thursday, Friday, you know, guy. I mean, he's a fourth year player. He's 305 pounds. He's to me, he's a combination of Jaleel Johnson and Christian Ballard. And his motor was running hard all game long. He was, even if he wasn't making the play, he was chasing, um, it was impressive because he played, I think, all but 11 snaps, you know, and uh, without Austin Schulte there, you know, that's really uh, – that says a lot for him and how he was able to perform. What did they do there, Scott? That was one thing that I wondered. I, I didn't pay attention to, and I haven't had a chance to go back. I know Noah Shannon was in that rotation. Was it just a three-man rotation at tackle, or did they move one of the ends inside on occasion? You know, it was uh, primarily a three. I don't. I can't remember if uh, John Wagner might have slid in there a little bit. He did play end mm-hmm. mostly. John Wagner did. Zach Van Valkenburg was at the end, at right end. Uh, Chauncey played almost every snap. Joe Evans got some action too on the outside. So I think it was just three at tackle, okay. uh, which is why Nixon played almost every snap. Yeah. You know, um, they needed him to. You know, it's an abbreviated season, so that's that's important. But, uh, you know, they could definitely use the rotational part of it as you start to get deeper. I think I think by the Minnesota game, just because of their offensive line and their offense, I think that's when you need – you're going to need your eight guys for sure. I know I had this conversation during the offseason, and I'm sure you probably did as well. Worfs and Epinesa were – freaks and not guys that Iowa often gets, you know, ready-made guys. And uh, I, some people ask me, who will Iowa miss the most, Wirfs or Epinesa? And it's interesting because Wirfs is having the better rookie season yeah, in the NFL. Efficient. No doubt in my mind they miss Epinesa the most. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I wrote that several times that, yeah. you know, Stanley could be replaced. You know, he's, he had some certain advantages, but I think – he was also, you know, he, he had some challenges too. Mm-hmm. Worfs is an offensive tackle, which their importance is supreme at the next level. But I think you can mitigate it somewhat in the, at this at the college level. And Iowa certainly has with Quay Cronk. He's not right. Worfs, but he's more than serviceable. He's a good mm-hmm. player. But Epinesa, they have nobody who can fill those shoes. And you need that consistent rush because even last year, early on, when it looked like he was struggling – well, he was getting double and triple teamed in a lot of cases. Right. And so then you're freeing up everybody else for one-on-one opportunities, and they just don't have that. And, you know, Nixon, by the fourth quarter, was double teamed on every single pass rush with a guard and a, ta- and a center. And so they knew exactly what they were getting with him. Goals to got held, but, oh, well, get, get past it. And then nobody else in the pass rush situations did anything. And they have to get something there. I have to, or, or, you know, and it's not just blitz because that'll eventually bite you in the butt. It's somebody's going to have to win some one-on-one matchups. 
Yeah, and Scott, I mean, Ramsey's much more mobile than, than O'Connell was, so that's also something you have to keep an eye on. Because mm-hmm. Ramsey, Ramsey can hurt you with his legs as well, so we'll have to see. That's, that's certainly going to be a, a main key of this game is how Iowa performs on the defensive line and with a pass rush and, again, against, against the rushing attack as well. You mentioned the, uh, the point spread, I think, is two and a half. I think the over-under is like 40 – Four forty-five in there, and uh, so that's a little bit of a lower number, but I could see that playing out and this being another kind of uh, muck it up uh, defensive battle. I, I think um, I think I had Iowa winning twenty-four to twenty, but it's a coin flip game in my mind. Yeah, I think it'd go twenty-three twenty either way, I, and I'm really struggling with this just simply because I think it comes down to. Third and six, are the linebackers in the right spots to where they tackle Peyton Ramsey or he runs for eight yards like Dan Persa used to? Um, you know, because that's who I kind of compare him to, which is, mm-hmm. a, which is one of the probably ten uh, kick-me names in Iowa football history. Yeah, I'm sure that really person. makes the fans feel great. They're <laughs> going down that memory lane. Right, yeah, Dan Persa. <laughs> uh, bring up Antoine randall and uh, – <laughs> James Hardy, uh, uh, Jonathan Taylor, you know, all those. Um, no, he, uh, I, I think that's the kind of player he is. And so if, if Iowa could be disciplined, if they can collapse the pocket, if they can force him to make a pass that he doesn't want to make, can they get off the field? <laughs> you know, or even – and that's the difference between can they get off the field, even if Northwestern doesn't score, but they flip the field. If they – kick off and they get the ball to 25 if they if they only get one first down and then they punt then that's a win but if they get four first downs and then they punt from the Iowa 43 and then you're starting like they did against Purdue a couple of times you know inside their own 10 then you've got a lot of you're playing field position and you want to be on the other side of that field position game Yes, field position, turnovers, penalties, all those things to keep an eye on this week when Iowa plays host to Northwestern. That is a 2.30 central kickoff on ESPN in front of a mostly empty Kinnick Stadium, Scott. You've now experienced this in Ames. Nice cat. Uh, you you so, people that are listening cannot see, but I, we, we're doing a video on Scott's cat. National is, cat day, has, yeah. Has entered the chat. Um, well, the, the cat broke my train of thought. Oh, you, you've seen an empty stadium in, in Ames. You've seen one in West Lafayette. I don't think it's going to impact you as much as what you're going to see Saturday, just used, knowing what the Kinnick environment usually is. Yeah, it's going to be a real big difference. I mean, you just think about all of the um, – you know, the pomp and circumstance. I mean, I even, I even asked uh, Pat Fitzgerald about it on Monday. And I said, I don't think anybody's ever been heckled more than you in Kinnick stadium history, <laughs> uh, you know, as a player and as a coach for a long time, he's like, well, I feel like I'm in a, you know, SNL skit here, you know, gosh, darn it. People like me, you know, don't they like <laughs> me there? But you know, he's not going to have to hear that constant, you know, stuff mm-hmm. and he ignores it, but you know, it's just, it's kind of funny. But we're not going to hear, you know, back in black with the fans slapping the sides of the wall. We're not going to hear, you know, the, the roar of, 
you know, when they come out, um, just, it's going to be surreal. I can really get that. And, you know, what's happened with at Jack Trice and at Ross aid for me is if it takes you a little bit before you get used to it and then you just kind of focus on the game, it's no big deal, but, mm-hmm. but you always stop yourself and you look around and go, man, I can't believe there's nobody there. So. Well, they still do the tunnel walk and I'm sure they will. Yeah. And, uh, Swarming, I, I would think they're still going to do that. It's just going to be weird without, like you said, without, without that noise, man. Without the, that, yeah. you know, when I shoot photos down on the field, I can, you know, you feel it go through you. That it's oh, electric. Yeah. And uh, we'll have that. And then we'll also have the national anthem uh, this yeah. week as well as, as two things that, you know, outside the lines that will be topics of discussion. Yeah, they will. I hope, I hope people can put it past them that there are people with different opinions that, and experiences that are not the same as their own, but um, it will be a talking point. And hopefully if people have an opinion on it, they share it quickly and then they move on to the game. If they don't want to watch the game, then so be it. <laughs> and we will discuss that next week as well as recap this game and then look ahead to the Michigan State game on uh, a week from Saturday. Uh, Halloween this week, too, Scott. Fitz, Fitz and Ferentz on Halloween. What better? I mean, that that's a made-for-TV movie right there. Yeah, I mean, if you were to make them both monsters, uh, I guess I would go with uh, – they both got Frankenstein qualities to them. I guess that with Ferentz, I would, since he's more Hungarian – I would probably go with uh, Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) And he chews a lot, too, with the gum, so I can see that that, that oral fixation. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) then you have uh, Fitz, I probably would go, even though that's Irish, I would probably go more German, you know, so Frankenstein. (laughs) (laughs) So there you have it, folks. We've got Dracula and Frankenstein on Saturday. You know what's also interesting about this? What's that? Iowa is playing on Halloween, Friday the 13th, Black Friday. And at Illinois, that's four blocks from Elm Street in Tampa. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah. There's, that's the type of insight you don't get on every podcast. So <laughs> come back good. next week and, and listen to Scott, on, uh, Scott and I on the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast. Thank you for listening this week. Thank you to our sponsors. Enjoy the game on Saturday, and we will talk at you again next week.